Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 29, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Hey folks, welcome to episode 29, it's the MLR Kickoff podcast, Dan Power with you alongside Pete Steinberg, my co-commentator, and Pete, another big week in Major League Rugby as the top four is starting to take a little more shape, and we'll dig into that in tonight's show, but firstly, welcome Steinberg and uh, our travel tip for the week, my friend. It's on you once again. Well, you know, I uh, managed to score a couple of tickets to the semi-finals of the World Cup in Japan, and I was looking at buying flights. And Dan, as you know, I'm a when when I travel more than five or six hours, I try to turn left when I get on the plane. And so, you know, flying from Denver to um, uh, to Tokyo in business class is really expensive. And so I was looking and I was checking, but there's a bit of a trick. So if you are willing to buy a ticket from a major hub to wherever you're going. So in this case, I was looking at Chicago and I was looking at LA and I was looking at um, San Francisco as all places that I could fly to Tokyo. You can get some good deals. And I, I, I found a business class flight that match my dates, that was um, uh, less than a third of what the business class flight was from um, Denver to Tokyo. And I'm going to have to buy a leg, and that leg I'm going to buy is going to be an economy. So I have to buy an extra leg from Denver to LA. But if you're looking to buy something and you want to get something cheap, sometimes it's better to just buy a ticket on the competitive routes, right? So Tokyo to LA, lots of airlines fly that way, and that's how you can get um, a cheaper ticket. Well, you couldn't until you just told everyone, and now everyone's going to do that, and the tickets are going to go up. Thanks, I, Pete. I, I feel like you might be uh, um, overestimating um, not only the audience for Major League Rugby kickoff, but the audience for Major League Rugby total um, to consider it's going to move the needle. But we're here to share the tips, Dan. I'm, I'm not keeping these to ourselves. We want this to be a value-added podcast, and for those that travel, here's a bit of value-add. Oh, well, you're a good man. Well, let's dig into the show. We've got a big one. We'll re, uh, review last weekend's games, uh, the three of the four at least. Uh, we'll talk to our player of the week. We'll have a look at the rundown uh, for the teams going into the finals, who we think can make it, how they're going to make it. And, of course, we'll preview the games coming up this weekend at work uh, as well. So, Pete, first let's jump into last weekend's game. We kick things off with a game that was a lot tighter than I think most people really would have thought going into this one. It was New Orleans taking on the Warriors down there in New Orleans. 28-19, Nola got the win, but again, they saved it till the end to give themselves a little bit of breathing room in this one. Yeah, I mean, Nola, I don't think, are playing very well, and I'm not sure if it's... uh, It doesn't look like it's personnel. It looks like they've got their players out there. Um, You know, maybe teams are able to break down their attack. But, you know, this Utah team is this sort of, you you can see moments in this game where they're actually very, very good, but Utah just are not consistent. And I think that was the, uh, um, the real challenge that they had in the game. But, you know, they dominated possession. I mean, they, they made 88 tackles, but they missed 19. And so that's a real concern, but, you know, all the possession, um, and, you know, they had opportunities, but they gave away some really, really easy tries. I mean, um, you know, if, if you take away the Tristan Blewett um, interception try early on in the game, this is a very, very tight game. And I think 
Um, you know, you can look at several moments throughout the game to say Utah could have really, really pushed Nola to the end. Yeah, 100%. Tristan Blewett, he's almost taken a, a page out of the Cam Dolan book for the intercepts. It's what uh, Cam built his career on for tries scored for the USA Eagles over the years. He always seems to find himself in a position to take an intercept, but Blewett, that has to be the third or fourth he's taken this year as he runs for 116 on the day, and a good chunk of that obviously comes from the intercept. Pete, if you're a New Orleans fan and you're down there uh, cheering on Nola Gold, last couple of weeks, are you, are, you, are you panicking? Are you worrying? Is it something you think that maybe it's just that mid-season complacency? Can Nate Osborne get this side refocused? I say this as they sit on top of the table. It's kind of weird to be talking about a team like this as they are in first, but is it something that you've seen as a coach over these last few weeks that you're worried about for New Orleans? I, I don't think so. I mean, I think that um, Nate Osborne is doing a little bit of a rotation. I mean, we had Ben Tarr in the booth for the game as opposed to on the field. And, and Cam Falcon's a good deputy, but I think that they suffered in the scrum a little bit. Um, so so I don't I, I don't think so. I, I do feel like, though, as we get into this part of the season, there are some, um, you know, and, you know, Dan, you, you, Aaron, and I kind of chat throughout the week and we're saying the set piece is so important. So for Nola Gold, you know, they've got one of the best line-out operators in um, Cam Dolan. I mean, he's he's really phenomenal in the line-out, but their scrums, not so sure about that. And in uh, Major League Rugby right now, the scrums are really important. Yeah, I agree. It is. It's that set piece is going to be really important on the uh, on the run home, and they also have those few X factor players, don't they? In, in Blewett and uh, JP Eloff. A um, little worried the other week against Toronto. He came up a little lame on his knee, but seems to be okay. Those X factor players that can make a difference in a finals game where the sides are going to be pretty evenly matched. But uh, New Orleans get the win there for Utah, Pete. You know, it's it's pretty much goodbye. 2019, mathematically, there's still a chance, but they're going to really have to have a lot of things go their way. Do you see them playing the role of spoiler down the stretch for some of these sides? Well, I think I think Utah can do it. Like I said, we've seen them play um, in moments like... I mean, so first of all, I think in this league, there isn't any game with any team that you can walk in and look past the opponent. I mean, we, we saw that not last week, but two weeks ago with Houston and Glendale. And, you know, I think Utah, we saw it here against um, Nola Gold. I, I think the um, Josh Reeves coming back and Tim O'Malley at 12, allowing Tim O'Malley to move to 12, I think is, is really, um, you know, critical for them. Um, Gannon Moore was a late scratch. And so Josh Whippy and, you know, just, you know, coming back from injury plays 13. I think if they can put their best team out on the field, um, I, I think that they can be very competitive. What they haven't quite worked out is they haven't quite worked out how to win. And, you know, that's just one of those things that that, that they're working on. It still looks like, you know, the coaching staff is still trying to find out their best side. But I, I don't think anyone can look past Utah. Um, you know, I, I thought early on that they had a good chance of having a good defense. I think their defense is um, suspect now. I think that's something they have to um, work on. But um, I don't think you can look past them. No. I think you're right. That'll be interesting to watch them uh, down the stretch here against some of these top four sides. All right, Pete, moving on. Seattle take on Houston as we christen Aviva Stadium down there in Houston, Texas. 
It uh, wasn't the homecoming or the christening that the Sabercats were looking for, though, as a massive second-half performance from the Seawolves get them the victory, 52 points to 10, and cements them into second place in the league standings as well. A uh, bit of a disappointing performance in that second 40, you'd have to say, from Houston after they had uh, a pretty good game against Glendale for at least uh, 30, what was it, 35 minutes? And uh, did not turn up at home in front of their fans, unfortunately. Well, I mean, actually, I think Utah have started well for the last four games. They started pretty well against Seattle. Houston or Utah are we talking here? I'm talking Houston. 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 So Houston started. Well, Houston. let Let me get some more green tea. Hold on. Houston, thank you. Houston um, have started pretty well in most of their games, including against Glendale. But, you know, you go about four or five games and you look 20 minutes, 25 minutes in, they're competitive. But, you know, Seattle really just blew them away in the second half with a um, a number of, um, uh, like, long-distance um, scores. Uh, I, You know, Houston have a scrum. They struggle with the line-out. Uh, um, I think that they were less than 50% clean ball in their lineout, which I, is, is a real concern. You know, we talk about the set piece. And, um, you know, uh, other than the scrum, they haven't demonstrated their ability to do much. I mean, listen to this, right? They had 39 rucks in the game. 39 rucks. I mean, you know, we've had teams that have had 200 rucks. So that tells you... Um, you know, what a challenge is. Part of that is I think they, they might be kicking a little bit too much. Um, but, you know, actually the big challenge I think Houston have, and I think it really showed up, is I think they really struggle at the, at, at the breakdown, at the tackle contest. Um, you know, Brad Tucker and um, Nakai Penny, I thought, were just phenomenal. And um, the, their work rate was, you know, um, I thought Nakai Penny, I, think, I mean, I think he had 20 tackles and he missed one tackle. Um, but their work rate around the field, and you saw it against um, the Seawolves, and you saw it particularly, I think, against Glendale. I think Houston just are not physical and are just too naive at the cat tackle contest. Yeah, we saw in that Glendale game how dominant the scrum was with two penalty tries. It must be mentioned that the scrums were turned to uncontested as the uh, the turf at Aviva uh, had some teething problems with, uh, with the new laying of the turf there. It was coming up uh, pretty consistently. So that uh, definitely took one of their uh, strong points out of their attack, out of their game. So another good win, though, for Seattle as they keep on keeping on. Like I said, they are in second now with 37 points, so just sitting six points behind New Orleans. So, Pete, our uh, next game was San Diego taking on Rooney, and we both agreed last week this was going to be the game of the week, and you very kindly led me down the path of predicting San Diego, which uh, proved very fruitful for both of us. They had a probably one of the best second halves I've seen them put together, maybe being a bit complacent in some other games. The Toronto one at home comes to mind straight away there where they gave up that game against Toronto at home, but their second half against Rooney, outstanding as they hold them scoreless in the second half and run out winners 29-19 to get a win on the road. Yeah, I mean, I was really looking forward to this game, but actually um, there were moments of brilliance. I mean, I think that there was the uh, um, Connor Kearns try um, that uh, came from Mikey Teo. Um, there was the break early on from the kickoff of Ben Foden, um, really showing uh, um, his 
skill and pace um, and, uh, you know, providing the try to Simo Smith. I mean, there were some great tries, but overall, I didn't feel like this was that great a game. But the thing that stood out for me, and I think the thing that really is um, uh, an, a, a, a challenge for the rest of the league is how good San Diego's scrum was. I mean, Rooney have had one, you know, we've said Rooney's like the best scrum. They've talked about how hard their, their, uh, um, their practices are. And there was a great scrum battle going on here. But, you know, Rooney, um, you know, lost a couple of their own scrums to, uh, um, to penalties. Um, they only completed 44%. So what that means is that when you come in and you scrum, a non-completed scrum is a scrum that goes down that has to be reset. And normally if you're the dominant scrum, you're able to handle that. So the fact that San Diego were able to disrupt them was interesting to me. And I think a bit of a, a, a challenge to the rest of the league. However, Rooney's lineout continues to be a strength and continues to be one of their major um, uh, um, scoring opportunities. Although there was some controversy here, um, I think because there was a, um, uh, you know, Elgin Williams, I think that there were two penalties called against San Diego when they were defending a line out drive, but they ended up, um, New York ended up scoring. And I think that there was um, a penalty try uh, called against New York when San Diego were driving that didn't come with any warning. And I think that there was there was some controversy, but it's not controversial to me because I think what happened is that the um, John Quill saw that they were going to score and cynically prevented the score from happening, which is a little bit different. So you don't need a warning if there's a cynical play that prevents a score. The referee obviously said without John Quill coming around the edge and grabbing... Um, um, I think it was Dean Muir, I'm not sure though, um, coming around and grabbing the ball carrier um, that San Diego were, were going to score and therefore it was a penalty try. Yeah, pretty straightforward. So Pete, one of the stats you often talk about and I really, you know, as a player, didn't pay much attention to it. We didn't have the statistics available back in the Super League days that they do in Major League Rugby. So it's kind of fun to dig into these and get your uh, opinions on this. But one that you've really stressed is percentage getting over the game line, which is, you know, front football for a ball player. Uh, you know, I played a bit of 10 and 15. You play a, a bit of ball. You need front football going forward over the game line. I look at the percentage of possession breakdown, Rooney 56, San Diego 44. But the number one defense in the league is San Diego. And so what do you have to do? You have to figure out a way to crack that. And they weren't able to just 36% over the game line with that ball that they enjoyed uh, an extra 12% possession throughout the game just goes to show that you don't have to control those statistics of possession and territory if you're San Diego because like you said your scrum is so good so you know when these errors come down you're a good chance at not only you know you're going to win your ball but you're a good chance of stealing their ball but also your defense is so fit and so structured that they're not going to get that creative fast front football to play with and to me, that kind of reminds me of Seattle last year and they went on to win the comp. So San Diego in a great spot now. Yeah. Third on yeah. 36 points. I mean, I mean, so two two comments about that. One is um, Paddy Ryan um, might be my player of the season. You know, from tight head prop, he's, um, you know, he, he made 14 tackles. I mean, really, really phenomenal. Um, and he made every single tackle. 
Um, and then he created a try and scored a try. I mean, you know, um, I'm not sure what this guy has to do to be player of the week, but um, I, I feel like there's a player of the week in his future. He's phenomenal. And then a big shout out to Lou Stanford, who I thought had an amazing game um, and he made 16 tackles. So when your type five are making those tackles and if they're able to get off the line, I think that's that's why San Diego have been so good. They've, what they have is, is they have some forwards that are physical that can get off the line and drive those players back. And then outside, they have speed and athleticism that can defend the wide attack. For Rooney, and you actually mentioned this um, as we were texting when in, in our little text group during the game, as soon as you saw that um, Kahal Marsh was not kicking, you were like, he's not 100%. And I think we saw that. I thought he played a little bit deeper. And I think if you play a little bit deeper, then you're really get, it's really it's a real struggle to get over the game line. And so it'll be interesting to see how they manage him. I mean, gro- you know about groin injuries, right? And I understand why they don't want him to kick, right? Because that, that will really aggravate it. But they're going to have to manage him because I think he's really critical. And you did not see the dynamic marsh that we saw early on in the season. No, I agree 100%. And having I dealt with those injuries, I had a hip flexor problems at the back end of my career. And you're just not confident with your first step. And as a 10 who plays the line like Cahill Marsh does, and he's so good at taking the ball to the line, not having that first step just enables the defense to be a little bit more prepared for you. They don't have to be as cautious of you going back inside, pushing to the outside, sliding. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, but the great ball players have the ability to make defenders leave their channels. So as soon as you can make a defender leave their channel, there's dysfunction in the defensive line. And then it's just up to to Marsh to, to pick his channel where there is that dysfunction and find his runner. He just has to tell his runners, hey, you stay in your channel. I'll create the issues in the defense. And if you stay in your channel, I'll just throw it to your channel. Just be there. That's what the best ball players will always say. They don't really look too much at where their runners are. At the back end, I kind of started to figure it out as I had conversations with with more experienced fly halves of just re- read the defense, just watch where they're turning their hips, watch their eyes, what they're doing, and then throw the ball and just tell your guys, you got to be there. And I think that groin issue for Marsh is going to be something that just takes that danger of him having the ability to run himself away. So the defense is going to be a little bit softer on him knowing he's, he's going to pass. And you said it, he was a little deeper, wasn't he? And I don't think that's the way you beat San Diego. I think you've got to challenge them inside and out, those first three defenders, and just accept the fact you're not going to break them phase one, two, three, four, that you've got to create some disarray before you can really attack that San Diego defense. And, but we've and, talked – sorry, Pete. Yeah, just, just another thing I, I thought was interesting in the game was I wonder if San Diego t- targeted Marsh in the game. Right. So when you have someone that comes back from injury, especially a fly half, like you put them on the ground, like we used to do this when I coached the US women and Katie McLean um, played for England, we knew that if we could, even on defense, if we could put her on the floor, she can't organize. And, you know, the fact that Cahill Marsh made 12 tackles, you know, so, all, you know, joint, I think third in, you know, tells me that San Diego knew this was a guy coming back and they wanted their forwards running at him. Yep. Yep. Another good, you know, good moment for San Diego and Rob Hoadley, well coached. He uh, he keeps impressing me, doing a good job out there. Our fourth game, Pete, was postponed. A huge storm cell moved over Texas over the weekend that grounded all the flights and try as they may, Austin could not get onto a plane uh, along with the rest of the state pretty much to get up to Toronto. 
Uh, we will keep everyone informed as soon as we find out when that game will be replayed or what the decision will be. I'm imagining it will be a replay, uh, not a replay, a, a reschedule, and uh, they'll go from there. But yeah, it has to be. It's going to have to be a midweek game, right? I mean, Austin don't have a bye week for the rest of the season, so um, you know these these guys are going to have to play a couple of games in the week. So it'll be interesting to see how the league handles it. I'm sure Toronto would just like to take the five points, but I'm not sure the MLR will let that happen. Pete, there was plenty of solid performances over the weekend. We've mentioned quite a few of them, but player of the week for the second time this year goes to the Seattle winger, Brock Staller, who had a big day out down in Houston and was a big part in his side getting the win. And Pete, you got a chance to catch up with Brock earlier today. Well, Brock, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I believe this is your third player of the week um interview you had one last year and it's the second one this year so congratulations on your continued success yeah thanks a lot pete and happy uh, to be on the air so you know lots going on this year with season two and one of the big changes for seattle has been that you um now have a coach that's not a player in richie walker so talk talk a little bit about um what richie has been able um to do with the team and, and in particular um in helping the backs kind of develop the season yeah, no, it was a bit of a slow start to the year not having uh, a coach set in place. Um, we didn't have much of a re uh, regimented training sessions and stuff like that, so he's really helped uh, us, us mold the training schedule. Um, Richie, along with um, now we have Ian Gibbons helping as a strength coach. They've been able to work together with uh, Phil in the backs and then, um, uh, what do you call it? Sorry, Phil in the backs. And no, they just basically um, helped um, us train. Are you forgetting Rickard's name in the forwards? Yeah, I was going to say Rickard, pardon me. But yeah, Rick, it's a bit tougher to say. But yeah, Rickard and the Fords, um, they've all molded together to help, uh, you know, create quality sessions. You know, we know what our purpose is now. Um, Richie's been doing a lot of good uh, review of the games along with Phil. Um, and, you know, we're starting to play to our potential and show what we can do uh, in these past few games. So let's, let's talk about training for you personally. What's the thing that you like most? Which part of training is the thing we're just trying to get excited. it? We're just trying to get our sessions more game like, just you know, higher intensity, you know, running between drills. Um, we were lacking that department earlier in the year, and uh, we've kind of realized now that um, transitions in training really um, transition over to the field and our uh, actions and reactions on the pitch, and they keep getting better as the year's going on. And then, um, well, you know, but so I'm trying to get to like, so that's what you like about the impact, but but yeah. what's which parts of training do you personally like? What is it like, uh, just, you know, what, what kind of drills is it? Uh, Decision-making, you know, with the backs, um, just trying to make the right choice, running good lines, um, those kinds of drills, and then just integrating with the forwards a bit more. Um, we've done more, uh, I guess, 15 on 15 work, you know, with higher contacts, um, just trying to emulate the game a bit more and be a bit um, tougher on each other. Uh, I guess we were lacking a bit in that department earlier in the year, and it kind of showed how we were, um, being a bit soft and not switching on in the first 20 minutes, but that's starting to uh, creep out of our game, luckily. And and for you personally, what's the one thing that when you like you see it on the schedule, you roll your eyes and you're like, ah? Oh. I mean, is it uh, like I, I, is it one on one yeah. tackling when you've got to tackle Tim Metcher, something <laughs> like that? <laughs> I don't mind that, but no, um, tackle technique one on one's a big thing. It's a big uh, a big work on for me, just getting my feet closer in the contact. But I do enjoy doing um, some counter attack work and assessing our options when we have a defense coming up to chase. Cool. Well, great. Well, you know, um, one of the things that you've done really well this year is you've been a fabulous um, uh, kicker for points, mm. kicking off the mm. tee. 
So talk to us a little bit about what your kicking um, regimen is throughout the week and how you um, ensure that you're going to be consistent on game day. Yeah, I, I actually I don't practice all the time during the week. Um, I used to be able to, but just I'm trying to keep my body right. But uh, I get as much quality out of it as I can, you know, getting in 10 to 20 kicks um, every other day um, after each session. But, no, like I said, it's all about quality and, and understanding your, your routine. Like every kick I take is, is the same way. Um, it sounds a bit um, cliche, but you have to practice how you want to play, especially with kicking. So I know I take my time with it, and I, uh, I can see it translating onto the field. Now, um, before the game, are you um, someone that likes to kick a lot or you kind of have one kick and if it's a good strike, you're like, that's it, I'm ready to go? Yeah, I usually, I usually take maybe six to eight kicks and I work my way from the left side over to the right side of the field. Um, you know, just starting starting closer to the left edge and then just having a smaller tar- target between the post to aim at and then working my way over to the middle and then working my way over to the far right side. And uh, if that all goes well, I stay there. Um, if I have issues on the far right side, I'll just line one ball up closer to the middle and uh, keep my head down and, and uh, make sure it goes through the middle. And, uh, um, you know, keeping your head down is one of those critical technical things mm-hmm. that, um, that, that kickers, kickers need to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, what about in terms of the decision about whether you take points or, or don't take points um, and, and your range? What do you think your range is nowadays? I'd say probably anything inside about 45 meters. Uh, I've got the wind behind us. I can push a bit further than that but i uh pride myself more so on my accuracy than my distance i use a bit of a shorter tee so i'm not able to crank the ball as far but i uh, i usually back myself it usually comes down to um uh, shalom or rickert making the choice on whether we're taking points but um you know if i see the score and i really want to take the kick you know i'll just step up and you know give a point to the post <laughs> take up step up and take the kick yourself that's uh um that's good so you know we're we're more than halfway through the season um i think you guys have played up i mean i think you've played every game every team so far mm-hmm. um you know who's been your most difficult opponent i i'd probably say san diego um they've brought a lot of line speed on defense and uh you know a lot of grit in the forward pack and they played well against us uh they kept to a game plan um, you know, they kept box kicking off, off of uh, lineouts between the 40s and trying to pin us deep, and it ended up working out in their favor, and they were able to create turnovers or penalties, um, you know, in our half of the park and then pin it in the corner and score that way. So I'd say San Diego from a, a tactical and uh, physicality side have been a tough opponent, and probably New York as well. They're just um, technically sound across the field, um, well-structured, and, you know, a couple of dangerous players uh, gave us a bit of a tough time at Starfire a few weeks ago. And, and when you look at um, sort of your position of wing, who are the wings that have stood out for you, the players that you get excited to play up against? Uh, it's fun going up against uh, Josh Vesey. Uh, he's a handful to tackle and he's good <laughs> under the high ball. Um, it's, a, it's a big loss for Houston right now, not having him. Um, but no, I look forward to hopefully uh, getting to play against Glendale and uh, having another go at uh, John Ryberg there in a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think there's uh, two of the highest point scorers in the league going at each other, and uh, you're both big, uh, big, powerful runners. So that's definitely yeah. a I, a good matchup. Yeah, I think I'll have the advantage on the high ball, though, being able to take it off the ground because he's such a big guy. So I hope to make a box kick down the channel there. Uh, when we play Glendale in a few weeks. Well, we don't want to give away too much of your strategy yeah. for that game, but that's certainly going to be a uh, um, a big game for you guys, mm-hmm. and also a um, big game for. Glendale. Now, you know, when you were first signed by um, Seattle, uh, a lot of people talk to you about sort of a versatile back. You're someone that can play fullback and you can play wing and you can play in the centers. But you've, I think you've 
only I think you may have had one game at the center last year, but you've been almost exclusively with. Yeah. Is that mm -hmm. is that is that your favorite position? Is that the one that you think um, is the best one for you? Yeah, being on the wing, I can really you know bounce around and inject myself throughout the throughout the park. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty proud of my aerial skills and um, defensive abilities. I've just been trying to work on my speed and power so that whether I'm in the centers, I'm at fullback, or I'm at, on the wing, I can uh, you know be a threat from all those positions. Well, I mean, I think that in, in the modern game, the wing has to play like the fullback, and you sometimes find yourself playing center. So I think that those um, those skills are definitely useful for the modern day wing. Yeah. Um, and so let's let, let's talk a little bit about your um, rugby career. Um, you played at, at UBC, yeah. um, and so I'm going to assume you got to play against Cal a few times. Cal, in yes, the, we uh, Cal is one of the, one of our uh, biggest games of the year every year, going down there and playing a, a home match a few weeks later. And, and how did you do against those guys? Because everyone I've, I've heard from UBC knows their record against Cal. I think in Cal, we're three and one. And then um, at UBC, I would be, I want to say two and two. Okay. So, yeah, we ended up losing um, a real close one to, uh, to Cal in my second year at UBC because they kicked off and then there was an offsides penalty on the catch. And then Jake Anderson put a penalty kick over to end up beating us by one point. Not that, not that that stayed with you and you remember much about that game like four years ago, right? So obviously. Yeah, no, it was just, it was just a fun time because we always generate a big crowd up at UBC. And then when we went down there, it was just a very professional um, feeling environment. They had a, had, had a big crowd as well. So we really looked forward to it. And so, you know, you um, um, played for Vancouver and then you represented British Columbia. And, um, you know, you've had um, a number of games for the Canadian national team. Um, what's, What's the latest for you in the World Cup? And what's Kings? Have you had any uh, um, conversations with Kingsley and kind of where you stand? Yeah, I spoke with him a few weeks ago. Um, he's been happy with my play. It's just continuing to work on those areas so that um, when I, if I do get the chance to switch from the MLR to international rugby, I can inject myself and um, you know be a, be a quality player in that in that realm as well. And so the World Cup is something that's definitely in your um, in your sights. Oh, no, it's not certainly on my radar. I'm, you know, I'm getting up every day, trying to train as hard as I can um, on the field, in the gym, when I'm practicing my kicking, just all the elements to, you know, put myself in the best position to, uh, to make it to Japan. So let's, let's, you know, thanks. I really appreciate your time. And I'm, I'm going to finish off with a couple of, uh, um, a couple of questions. So yeah. um, I know, um, you know, Richie Walker um, uh, quite well. And I know Ian Gibbons um, pretty well as well. Um, what's the most annoying thing that the staff does? Most annoying thing? I don't know. Uh, Ian came in pretty hot when he started uh, training with us, you know, taking a couple jabs here and there at some of the guys. And I knew he was just trying to trying to break the ice. Um, that's, a, that's a tough one, though. There's nothing that really bugged me that much uh, about Ian. With Richie, I kind of thought Richie was just a little too nice at first, you know, just trying to be one of the boys. Um with his coaching and his mentality and it worked, but he's uh, gotten a little more aggressive uh, with his words at halftime and at trainings when he is upset. And I think it's actually really fired us up. So yeah, I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm happier with him, uh, you know, just showing his emotions more. It really uh, helps the boys out. Yeah. Well, well, Richie's a pretty quiet guy unless he's upset. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> you, when he's right upset, you know it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, uh, who's the, uh, who's the funny guy on the team? Who's the guy that's the jokester and the guy that makes everyone laugh? The f there's quite a few, there's quite a few jokesters on the team, uh, but you got to give it to Appy or Billy. 
Um, you know, they're always, you know, whether it's driving someone's car a few blocks away so they think it's stolen, um, you know. Uh, hold on, hold on. They drove someone's car. <laughs> yeah, we had, we had a gym session last week, and I actually live with uh, Appy and DJ now, and then um, Appy just pulled DJ's car around the corner, and, uh, no, DJ jumped outside and thought someone had taken it and was freaking out. And then Appy <laughs> came came screaming back with his big uh, Fijian-friendly laugh. So, yeah, no, he's a funny guy sometimes. All right, all right. So it's a funny guy as long as 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 long as it's not your car that's been moved. Yeah, fair enough. So I think DJ's probably pretty annoyed by that. So, yeah. well, look, uh, um, Brock, we, uh, um, we appreciate you taking the time to join us on Major League Rugby kickoff. Um, I... I suspect we may see you again. I think, as you said, Seattle are beginning to play some mm-hmm. of their best rugby, and I think that's going to mm-hmm. give you a chance to score tries and, and, and kick points. So good luck for the rest yeah, of the season. Hopefully. Thanks so much. Maybe we can even get a, a back row player on as player of the week. You know, you look at the performances of Brad Tucker and Nakai Penny, they've done quite a bit. So there's yeah, lots of guys uh, deserving throughout the league. Well, look at that. There's a, there's a back throwing the love to the forwards that give him the ball. So uh, good yeah. work. I'm sure everyone will be happy to hear that. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot, Brock, and uh, um, good luck this weekend. Cheers. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me. There is Brock Stoller off the Seattle Seawolves. And, and Pete, really, he went quiet there for a couple of weeks, Brock. Uh, Had some troubles with the boot, but he's definitely turned his season back around. Such a classy player and a, a classy guy as well. Yeah, it was great. It was great to chat, Tim. I kind of put him on the spot because, you know, um, second player of the week, we have to ask some different questions. So it was interesting to hear him talk a little bit about Richie Walker as the coach and um, Ian Gibbons. I know both of those guys, um, both quality guys, and uh, hear him talk about some of his teammates. Yeah. Yep. Excited to see what uh, Richie and the Seawolves can do up there. And we're going to dig into that now, Pete. Let's, let's have a look at the run home. And if you look at the table... We kind of discussed off air that uh, mathematically everyone's still alive, but realistically it's a, it's a six-horse race right now for the top four uh, with Toronto in six at on 24 points. You know, the fact that they are at home for the rest of the season really keeps them in the picture. So, Pete, let's just dig into the run home and, and you've put something out today with your season predictor. Talk a little bit about the, the method and the algorithm you've got in there and then we'll kind of dissect team by team and their run-in and what we feel are going to be the games to watch for the fans that uh, could dictate their season and, and how we think this is going to look as we get closer to June. Yeah, I think algorithm might... Um, it- uh, be a little bit too generous for my Excel, Excel skills. So, if if you wanna if you wanna have a look at the season predictor, it's a it's a little bit of fun where you can put in what you think the results are going to be for the rest of the season, and then see how it plays out with points. You can find it at um at my Twitter handle. Uh, I posted it early today, PJ Rugby Nine. And all I did, Dan, was I kind of like put into an Excel spreadsheet the remaining games, and you can go in and you can. Um, basically um, <clears throat> highlight the or, or put in the results that you think might happen. So you could say there's a win plus, which is a win with a bonus point. There's a win. Um, there's a loss. There's a loss plus with one bonus point. And then there's um, uh, two, um, a loss with two pluses for the two losing bonus points. So I kind of like created that because I wanted to have a look and it's a good way for you to kind of think about how the game, how the game works. And, and as I look at it, you know, for me, I look at the teams that probably have the toughest runs are, um, are probably Toronto and Glendale. Um, Toronto, because they've got a lot of points to make up. Now, 
they're going to play that Austin game, but that's probably going to affect their ability to prepare. But they pretty much have to win all of their home games to guarantee their spot. Like if they lose a game, they're really going to put themselves in jeopardy. And for Glendale, what I think is interesting is that, you know, um, Glendale have three home games and their three home games are against New York, Utah and Seattle. And I think that they probably need to win all three of those. Um, I think their game away against San Diego is tough. And I think the game at the end of the year um, at Toronto is going to be tough. I'm not sure that they can, um, you know, guarantee anything in those games about taking a win. So those three games, um, I think, at home are going to be really critical. I think they need to win all three of those um, to make sure they make, make the playoffs. Yeah, I agree with you there on that. It's uh, For Toronto, it's really going to be a case of they have to get hot and go and run now. That loss to Nola at home for their home opener was a bit of a surprise to me, and I think a lot of other people as well were expecting them to get the win up there. So to see them lose that game puts them in a little bit of a uh, little bit of a dip, but uh, definitely able to bounce back, I think. Glendale's going to be tough. That set piece again. I mean, San Diego... We talked about this earlier today. Glendale never won at San Diego. They lost there in the regular season last year, and they lost the championship there as well to Seattle last year. Hasn't been a great place for them to play, and all of San Diego's strengths kind of play into Glendale's weaknesses right now. But you can never, never rule out a champion team, and you know there's still enough, enough talent, and there's enough players who kind of know how to win at Glendale for them to get it done. But they sit in fourth place right now in 33 points. And you and I and Aaron discussed, I, I think it's going to be around 55 points on the table. I think it's at least, place. yeah, I think 55 points. I think I think that's I think that's at least um, 55. But I, it's, it's definitely, like, I think if you're above 55, I think, I think you're, you know, you're almost certainly going to make it. Um, and any, you know, 60, 60 and you're in. Well, let's talk about the key games coming in for each of these teams. Now, let's look at New Orleans first and their schedule coming in. I think it's going to be actually this weekend, Pete. In my opinion, they go to Seattle on the road. They play the second place, uh, Seawolves, and uh, they need to get, according to our math, at least three wins here with maximum bonus points. Another 15 would get them to 58 points, and that should be enough to get them into the finals. Uh, Nate Osborne, Ryan Fitzgerald and his crew down there, they're thinking home semifinals. So they're thinking a little bit more than that. But I think they have to get a win on the road somewhere in their schedule there if they're going to uh, tick the boxes to get that home yeah. semifinal. So, so you know, I, if, if they can take care of business um, against Austin and Houston, but Austin's away – but if they if they can get if they can get a win and a bonus point in those two, they can make the playoffs without winning any other games. But they need to make sure they get two bonus points. And they've got a tough run in. So this is why they may have the toughest run in because they've got a way to um, Seattle, they've got at home to San Diego, and their last two games are away at New York and away at San Diego. So they're, they're the one team that has to play San Diego twice, which I think we, we feel like are really coming into form. So those are, those are going to be really tests, really big tests. But they don't need to beat San Diego as long as they – but they do need two bonus points. So, so I think that if, if – so I'm with you. I think that if Nola can go to Seattle and win, 
this weekend, I think they're in. I think I think they'll be able to get enough points. If they lose this weekend, they need to make sure they get two bonus points to still give them the easy run. Yeah, I agree. I agree. A win this takes a lot of pressure off that game on May 11th against San Diego, the, the first one. That's at their home field. Um, if they can kind of take that pressure off with a win this weekend, playing San Diego in May, ooh, I just don't – if they continue on this upward trend and – you know, injury-wise, they're getting healthy. Everyone's sort of playing and playing well. Mikey Teo is back for a few weeks. Ryan Matty is back for a few weeks. They're getting some depth. They're starting to find their flow. There's not that interchanging at nine we saw at the start of the year. Nate Augsburger seems to have locked that down with Boyer being a utility on the bench. They're looking like a settled team. So that's definitely going to be a game they'll circle as well, May 11th the New Orleans. All right, let's... Focus on Seattle now, Pete. They sit in second place at the moment, 37 points. And their run home is, it's a mixed one as they'll have three home, three away. But their away games are all against sides who are in contention in Toronto, Rooney and Glendale. Right. And and their last two games are at home um, against Utah and Austin. So, that I mean, I think we can probably say by that point, I mean, I don't think they're guarantees, but they would hope to get 10 points out of those last two. So it's really a question of where are they going to get the other eight points? And again, to me, lose like bonus points are going to be really critical, losing bonus points even more so. Um, but, you know, we you know, we talked about how important the game this weekend is for um, uh, for Nola. But it's also important for Seattle because it's their chance. If they get five points here, it takes their pressure off their three away games. Now, the one thing that Seattle has going for them is in the middle of those away games, they have a bye, right? So they're at Toronto, then they have a bye, and then they're at New York. And when they play New York, even though it's at New York, New York are in the middle of like a five-game run. Those things are going to matter at that part of the season. I think for Seattle as well, who maybe don't have the largest roster to be able to rotate, I think having that buy before that at New York and at Glendale is going to be important. And they're actually spending the week in New York leading up. So off that buy week, they'll be going to a farm just uh, outside New York City where they've had a field prepared for them, goalposts, everything, like a camp. So a mid-season getaway camp, which, again, is something to think about leading into that Rooney. So it won't be a tough travel for them. They'll all be acclimated to that East Coast time from the West Coast off that bye week. So Seattle doing everything they can. I think, like you said, Pete, they know the importance of that Rooney game away. So that, uh, that'll that be a good one out there as well. All right, mate, let's move on to San Diego now. We've already said enough nice things about San Diego, but their run home, they go Glendale at home, Houston away, Toronto away, Nola away, Utah away before they finish with Nola at home. So they have a, an evil stretch there of four games on the road through the the late uh, late April, May stretch. So, again, they are probably my favourite team at the moment in terms of their playing, but that is also a tough little run for them being on the road for that four-week stretch. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I think that they have, um, uh, you know, if they can get, you know, this is sort of one of these things where, as a coach, you highlight parts of the season, you try and cycle. And I think that this home game against Glendale is a must win for them. I think if they lose against Glendale, they're really putting themselves in some jeopardy. 
um, because it, it's going to require them to get a win um, away at Toronto or away at NOLA or home at NOLA. And I think they can win all those, but I think all of those games are going to be tight. And I think all of those games are going to be close. So I think playing at home before they go on this four game road trip is going to be really, really important. And so, you know, it, it's funny because we keep coming back to this week's games, which we're going to predict, right? Um, but I think, you know, this week's games, looking at the matchups are going to be really important. Yeah, they are really the 36 points right now for San Diego. So you think 20 should get them into the playoffs four wins with a bonus point. You can kind of look through their schedule and say, there's those home games that they've got Glendale. You give that a victory for them. They've got Houston as well. Um, you just and, don't know with Houston, but yeah, you think that's a win. Yeah. And and I think that the, 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 uh, again, I look at, they've got four home games and then they've got a bye week and then they play NOLA. And NOLA, for NOLA, that will be the fifth game on the trot. NOLA would have gone to New York the week before. That If they have to win that game, they've got their set up to win that game. I think probably that game there at the end of the season might be a game for home field advantage in the semifinals. I think you're right. Actually, that weekend is going to be huge. And who knows, genius scheduling or just you know lucky how it's ended out. We'll, we'll get into that as I talk. Glendale, who are in fourth place with 33 points, and we already said they've got a tough run home because they play a lot of these good sides. The sides below them in Utah and uh, and Houston and Toronto, in particular Houston and Toronto, they've got a great scrum, which has been Glendale's Achilles heel so far this season. So anything could happen there. But the big thing with Glendale to watch, Pete, is they have a bye the last weekend of the round. So as everyone's jostling on that June 1st, June 2nd weekend, Glendale sit at home with no points. They may find themselves in the top four and then have no control over their destiny in that last weekend, which is, you know, a tough way to kind of finish your season. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, it's you know, we've already talked about Glendale, but I think, you know, that... Um, I think they're going to have to beat New York at home. They're going to have to beat Seattle at home. Both of those teams have strong scrums. I think it's a challenge for them. I don't think it's something they can't do because they do so many other things well. But I think that they're going to have to do that. And you're right. They might be sitting at home um, not being able to control their destiny. Last last team for us, I think, to um, to preview is New York, Dan. So what do you think is the is their biggest game? In well, losing that, yeah, losing that one on the weekend. Losing at home is always tough. Uh, this time of the year, even tougher. So let's go through their schedule. They've got Utah at home this weekend. You would think they'll bounce back pretty strongly from their performance on the weekend. And here comes the stretch that's really going to test them. It's Rooney at Glendale on the road. Then they play Houston at home, Seattle at home, which will be a big one as well. Then they have Austin, Nola at home, and then they finish on Toronto. I'm going to say that road game against Glendale, April 26. It's a Friday night game. It's a, it's a late game for them at 9.30 Eastern, so 7.30 local time. I think that's the one I'm going to circle on my schedule because it's so big for both those sides. Rooney need to pick up a couple of wins on the road, and that one would be one I would be penciling in for them. The Toronto game at the end of the season, this could be the fight for fourth place, these two sides. If Toronto can get on that run we talked about and Rooney keep getting uh, the wins that they need to get with the bonus points, that could be fourth play, fifth right there. So that's yeah. why I'm going to watch the Glendale game. No, I think that's right. Because I think, you know, if if, if Rooney um, win against Glendale, 
then they have some wiggle room in their four home games. If they don't beat Glendale, then I think they have to win all four games. And as you said, Seattle and Nola are going to be tough games for them to win. They're going to have to win all four of those, or they're going to have to go to Toronto at the end of the season and win. And so I think that that Glendale game will color what they do the rest of um, the rest of the season. Yep, I agree. Well, let's just jump into this weekend's game as we've uh, looked at most of the season coming in because there are some good ones this weekend that will go a long way to deciding what happens uh, down the stretch here. Things kick off on Saturday, April 20th, and it's down there in San Diego. It's the Glendale Raptors on the road. This one on Fox 5 locally, ESPN Plus for the rest of the country. Pete, you were so good last week. I'll actually go first this time because I feel like you feel a little bit... uh, you know, I'm just following suit. And this is a tough game. So uh, I will go San Diego at home. I think that scrum is going to be too good. I think San Diego know they have to win this game. And uh, I don't know if Glendale are going to travel at strength that they would normally take. Uh, just they've got a lot of part-time players that have been kind of, you know, the backbone of the side for so many years. And it's getting harder and harder for those players to, to travel. So I'll go San Diego at home on the back of that scrum. Uh, won't be a high-scoring game. San Diego don't really put on a lot of points through their game. So I'll go 28-19. You know, I, I um, had a conversation with Jeremy Mann um, this week. Jeremy is the um, producer that's been working with us on the CBS games, um, spent 20 years with Sky Sports. And he said something interesting about San Diego. He said, you know, when you look at the competition, you want to say who has the best tight head prop and who has the best number 10. And I think you can argue that San Diego has both of those. And I think that if um, Peterson remains healthy and I think if Paddy Ryan remains healthy, I think they are a tough team to beat. And I think they're especially tough to beat at home. Um, you know, let's. I, I think that there, there may be a couple of penalty tries um, in the scrums, Glendale play a wonderful brand of rugby, but they're also the team that drops the ball about 12 times a game. And so that's a problem for them. That means more scrums. So for me, you know, I, I, I think Glendale are going to score some points because when the, you know, their line out is good and um, they have a great attacking platform once they get into their structure. Remember, they, they really stretched. They can really stretch the field um, and, you know, they'll, they'll get to the outside. Uh, but I, I think San Diego is just going to be too strong. So I think that you're, you're, you're pretty close. Um, I'm going to give Glendale a few more points and San Diego a few more points just to be a little different. I think it's going to be San Diego 32, Glendale 21. Oh, you're brave. Uh, even using your own analysis against you here, the way to beat San Diego is not on phase one, two, three, or four in which Glendale typically dropped the ball after those phases. So I think they're playing right into the Legion's hand this weekend. All right, next one. It is on, I believe it's Saturday night. It is Saturday night. I should know that. I'm I'm doing this game. It's 7.30 Eastern. The Utah Warriors on the road against Rugby United on CBS Sports. Uh, This is uh, the game of the week. So primetime slot on Saturday night. Well, this one's not good. I'll let you go on this one because I think we're both going to be the same. Well, look, I mean, I'm, you know, like I said, I I don't think Utah are a poor side. I just think they're inconsistent. I think they can cause some problems for Rooney. Um, But I think that we're going to see a better attack from Rooney. Um, I don't think this is going to be that close. 
it's a it's a big day for Rooney. That it's their pride game, so they're expecting a big crowd. I think everyone's going to be pumped. Um, I think this is going to be um, twenty eight ten. Twenty eight ten. I think it's going to be uh, yeah. No. Utah's a funny old side, right? They're that side that they just turn up some weeks and. They have their boots on the right way and they're ready to play and a little bit of pressure's off them now. Reeves has been there a little longer. I think Rudy bounces back. Always pick the home side when you've got to call the game, right? That's right. <laughs> I'll go uh, 32-15. No, Reeves is a better kicker than that. Oh, let's see. 32-17. Oh, there Two you tries go. and a penalty. 32-17, <laughs> Rooney. All right, mate, two games on Sunday. Early one, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's Houston at Toronto on Game TV up in Houston. Cube down uh, – sorry, Game TV in Toronto. Cube in Houston and ESPN Plus for the rest of us. And, Pete, uh, again, this is an easy one, so I'll let you go. I'm going to I'm gonna take the tough ones this week, so you can have this one first. Well, I mean, I think this is Toronto. I mean, they basically had a bye week last week. They're going to be fresh. I also feel like they this is going to be the game where they're going to fully integrate their Canadians that return from the ARC. I don't believe we've seen the best of Toronto. I think they have the ability. They, they you know, as we've said in their run, they're going to have to win their, a lot of games, but I think they can do that. Um, I, I don't think Houston, um, you know, I think, I think Toronto's scrum might creak a little but I think it's a strong scrum. It's not as strong as Houston's, but I don't know that Houston have enough of anything else. I think it will be a bit of a dogfight. You know, Houston have started games well. So I actually think this game is going to be relatively low scoring. I'm going to say it's 21-14 Toronto. Now, this may upset some of our front row listeners. I'm going to talk a little scrum action here. Houston's dominance in the scrum is more accentuated on natural grass. The only time they've played on turf that I can remember this year has been up in Seattle. And Seattle, good scrum in their own right, but they didn't find that dig that they usually find on natural grass on the artificial turf, which is what Toronto play on. So I think the scrum I, might I have be... To say, I have to say, Dan, I am impressed. Yeah. As a yeah. former scrum coach... Even though I was a back, I coached the scrum and I coached the scrum for the U.S. Um, I, I am impressed. It is absolutely true that your technique does not need to be as good on turf as it does on natural grass. So I think that's a very, very good um, uh, observation. Thanks, Pete. I got a little You're tear welcome. rolling down my cheek right now. I'm so proud that I, uh, I impressed Coach Steinberg. But <laughs> that really is – that's their uh, – the scrum – are the dragons to Daenerys Targaryen. There you go. Game of Thrones, relevant pop culture for everyone. Houston scrum is Drogon to Daenerys Targaryen. So I don't think it's going to be as big of an influence up there. So I think Toronto, they know they have to win this game. They're going to, they're going to blow them out. It's going to be 40, 42-12. Oh, it's going to be a shellacking. Uh, the Oinoman Empire against the Targaryen Empire. Now I'm just <laughs> totally off track here. But anyway, Toronto to win. Our last game is 10 p.m. Eastern. Nola Gold taking on Seattle. This is our CBS Network makeup game because a couple of guys decided to play golf last weekend and take us off CBS Sports Network. And uh, I'm not sure if anyone watched that, but apparently there's some guy who used to be good, but it's not good anymore. But now he's good again. And uh, how good was it to watch Tiger back? Oh, I was loving it. 
But that's going to be a tough one up there. And we've already talked about this is as a big game for NOLA in terms of their run home, a big game for Seattle as well to uh, get a win. Their last game at home, they lost to San Diego. So critical not to lose two in a row at home. Uh, I will go the home side. I think Seattle fundamentally a little sounder than NOLA right now, especially at the set piece. I really like the way they're playing with uh, Tucker. And Nakai Penny has been a really nice uh, welcome addition to the side as he's come back into form here later in the season. It'll be a tight one up there. I'll say Seattle will get it done, though, 27-22 over NOLA. So this is this is one that I, I, I am going to have to gamble on. So I agree with you. I think that Seattle are playing slightly sounder rugby. I think their scrum is a little better. Um, you know, Phil, you know, we've, we've had this discussion before about Phil Mack and JP Smith, but I think, you know, Phil Mack's starting, you know, you saw him create two tries from transitions last week and then JP Smith can come in and speed the game up. I, you know, so I, I think Seattle have the edge, but I cannot make up. I'm three games behind you. I cannot make up if I continually pick. And so I'm going to take a gamble and I'm going to say the one thing that Seattle have not solved right? And, and the one thing we haven't seen is the seawall. The seawall is not as strong as it was. I think they're missing Vili. I think that they're missing Shermer. I think their back row are strong workers, hard ball runners, but I don't think they're fetchers. And I think that Nola, if they can get that fast ball, are going to be able to move, are going to be able to move it. And I think they're going to be able to break. I think this is going to be a great game. This is the game that um, you know, we're bookending. The Glendale at San Diego is a great game. The Nola Gold at, at Seattle is a great game. I, I, you know, I think this could go either way. Um, I think Nola Gold's line out is better. I think um, Seattle's scrum is better. But I can't pick Seattle. I just can't because I'm not going to be able to make it up. So I have to go with Nola Gold. I think this game is going to be a bit of a toss-up. So I think Nola Gold, 32-30. Oh, you've convinced me. I'll go Nola as well. <laughs> no, that's okay. So we've got we've got one that's different. So you can uh, yeah, no. Take so one I back have to or... have a chance. I could try to, I have to pick one up. I know, I know that that will be a good game, uh, as will the one early on Saturday. The Raptors and the Legion out there. Well, Pete, it promises to be a great weekend. Are you are you on this weekend anywhere? Um, I'm not on. I'm not on for. Um, a number of weeks. I think my next game is May 25th. So I get to be home with the family and, and um, watch a lot of rugby with Penelope. Oh, you know what? That's even better. You need it a little break anyway. We've got to have you fresh for the finals. So folks, that wraps us up for another show. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back again next week, obviously, to dig into all the games from this weekend. And I'm sure we'll have a couple of other hot topics to talk about as well. For my co-commentator, Pete Steinberg, our producer, Aaron Castro, I'm Dan Power. Thanks for joining us.